Well, if you have your Bible this evening, please turn with me to Psalm 14. Psalm 14. We will be considering the whole psalm this evening, all seven verses. Psalm 14. Join me once again as we ask the Lord's blessing on the reading and preaching of His Word. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word in this time to consider its very truth and the wonders of it. We do pray, O God, that you would open our understanding to hear it, to understand and receive it, Lord, as it truly is, as your very word. O Lord and Holy Spirit, we pray your work in and amongst us, and we pray this in Christ's name, amen. So Psalm 14, beginning in verse 1, this is the Holy Word of God written for you and for me today. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call on the Lord? There they are in great fear. For God is with the generation of the righteous. You shame the counsel of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Indeed, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, beloved, in Christ Jesus, in the scriptures, foolishness and wisdom are spoken of in stark contrast to each other throughout much of its pages, especially in the books that comprise the wisdom literature of the Bible, and even more specifically in the book of Proverbs. And it's in Proverbs that we find Solomon giving focused instruction to his son, as well as all saints of the Lord, about Lady Wisdom and Madam Folly. The nature and facets of wisdom and folly that they promote, as well as the paths that each call men and women to follow. The walk of wisdom, beloved, leads to the Lord, and it leads to life. The walk of folly, on the other hand, leads to death and destruction. And as we consider what wisdom is, it's truly applied truth in day-to-day life for godly ends. It's applied truth in day-to-day life for godly ends. And wisdom is grounded in and begins with the fear of the Lord. We see this in Proverbs 1.7. It is grounded in Jesus Christ and his word as he is the power and wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1.24. Scripture also teaches us much about wisdom of the world, which is really true foolishness, and heavenly wisdom, which is from God. And so again, in contrast, whereas 
The wise embrace God and his wisdom. The fool denies God and his wisdom. Augustine wrote this in his work, Confessions. He said, quote, They love truth when it enlightens them, and they hate it when it accuses them. And that is very true. The fool believes that he is right in his own eyes. Fools are both deceivers and deceived, which often shows itself in self-deception. We see James speaks to this in James 1, 22 through 24. However, wise love and seek to understand and to walk according to the truth. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, Solomon calls for the embrace of wisdom when he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Don't be wise in your own eyes, notice. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. And yet the fool does what? He seeks to deny and counter God's and uh, his true wisdom. As we see in Proverbs 14, verse 1, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. In 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 20, the Apostle Paul speaks clearly about the deception of the fool, saying, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. And so here in Psalm 14, David, being a good student of heavenly wisdom, meditates on the fool's folly and the evil in his heart in contrast with the truth regarding God. And so tonight, let's consider the atheist and his heart in verses 1 through 3. The fearful who have no knowledge in verses 4 through 6, and joy and gladness in God's salvation in verse 7. But look at 1a. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, the truth of David's words here can be said two ways. One, only fools are atheists. And two, all atheists are fools. For it truly is the fool who denies the existence of God. Indeed, to be called a fool is a moral judgment. And what is a fool? Well, the Hebrew word nabal refers to a person who is morally perverse, not mentally incompetent. Keep that in mind. The world is full of intelligent fools. The problem with the fool's head and tongue stem from a much deeper issue in his heart. We've considered the words and actions of Christ's and David's foolish enemies so far in the Psalms. The nations rage against the Lord and his anointed, Psalm 2, verse 1. They said there wasn't any help for David in God, Psalm 3, verse 2. 
They rejected God and his goodness. Psalm 4, verse 6. The wicked don't seek after God, and he is in none of their thoughts. Psalm 10, verse 4. And what else does the wicked say in his heart? God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. We saw that in Psalm 10, didn't we? Verse 11. And you will not require an account, they say. Psalm 10, verse 13, just a few verses later. They talk much about prevailing over the righteous in Psalms 12 and 13. And so as David looked around him, as he interacted with, and he heard the words of many, he knew that he was pretty well surrounded with practical atheists who had no moral insight. See the great depravity of sin in the heart and its effects here in verse 1. Notice, the fool doesn't say these words with his lips, but believes the opposite in his heart. No, no, no. He, he has said in his heart, and he has said these words in his inner man, literally. And David says, which includes his mind and, and, his mind and will as well. Indeed, the heart is the crafting table of much evil. Jeremiah 17, verses 9 and 10, ring out clear in our hearts and our minds, declaring the heart of sinful man to be deceitful above all and desperately wicked. Who can know? I, the Lord, in verse 10, search the heart, notice. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Yes, the heart is deceitful above all, beloved, desperately wicked. Who can know it? No man. Ah, but the living God knows, and he searches it. And so from this wicked, depraved heart, the fool walks and boasts of his denial and deliberate rejection of God and his rebellion against him. He will have nothing to do with God. And beloved, there is no doubt that this is deliberate. Atheists go on rejecting God's sovereign rule, scoffing at his aid to his people, rejecting his goodness and presence as they believe the lie that he doesn't exist at all. The Hebrew in Psalm 14, 1a can literally be translated, the fool has said in his heart, no God. The atheist wants to be and wants others to accept him as being the captain of his own ship. They don't want God to tell them how to think and to live their lives. And yet the truth is clear to them in their rejection. And see this. As the Apostle Paul explains in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, and turn with me there if you would, this is an important passage to consider on this subject. Romans chapter 1, beginning in 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Notice, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because... What may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and notice their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. As man and wicked man, depraved man, seeks to displace God, they will try to replace him with something of their own design. Whether it be themselves or another idol, we see it all clearly here spelled out by the Apostle Paul. And see a few things here. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They sinfully hold it captive. Right? It's like, it's not a perfect illustration by any means, but it's like somebody taking a huge beach ball, submerging it underwater and trying to sit on it or to hold it under. It continues to push up and will pop up to the surface if their weight goes unbalanced. They sinfully hold it captive. Matthew Henry said that an unrighteous, wicked heart is the dungeon in which many a good truth is detained and buried. That's true. But also notice that truth has been revealed to them by God himself through general revelation, through his creation, through his attributes that are clearly seen, Paul says. They look to the heavens that declare the handiwork of God and they know him. They look within and they bear his image. And therefore, God says, they are without excuse. Nobody can stand before the tribunal of Christ and say, but I didn't know. No, you did. But you suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. Your foolish heart was darkened. Beloved, though they knew God, they didn't praise him. They didn't thank him. They didn't worship him as all true knowers of God, all true worshipers, those who belong to him, do. And therefore their hearts were darkened and they became fools who fell into idolatry. And this is what was going on into the hearts of those around David. And notice that he goes on to describe the main reason for the rejection of God more deeply. Look at 1b in Psalm 14. They are corrupt, They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. Now these words that the Apostle Paul quotes, excuse me, these are the words that the Apostle Paul quotes in Romans 3, beginning in verse 10. As he paints the same picture of the depravity of man in order to prove that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin in verse 9. All of the world is guilty before God. All sinners are corrupt 
and go to ruin in and of themselves. All sinners are completely different in their defiled sinful nature compared to what Adam experienced before the fall. And see that David makes clear that they don't do any good. They don't seek the Lord or do any service to him to honor Christ and to give him glory, which really is a definition of good works. They don't seek to give God glory. They don't seek to honor him. In fact, they do a great deal of hurt to people and themselves. As moral as they may be, what they do is sinful in God's eyes. All sinful works are an abomination to the Lord. Indeed, he hates them. He hates them with a holy hatred. In Jeremiah chapter 44, verse 4, we read this. However, I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. And again in Titus chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, Paul said this, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Indeed, my friends, Scripture teaches us that God knows all, He sees all, He hears all, and as we heard in Jeremiah 17 earlier, He searches hearts and tests minds. And therefore, in verse 2, we see that the Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek God. Now, beloved, if, if God is omniscient, why does David say that God looks down from heaven to see if there are any who seek him? God already knows. David uses anthropopathic language here as he attributes human emotion to God as, as, he, describe what, as he describes what God does. In the complete and perfect knowledge of God, the divine verdict regarding the true conditions of the hearts and the minds of unbelievers is in. And we see that in verse 3. They have all turned aside. They have all become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one, complete, universal apostasy. And we need to keep this in mind and these passages in mind as we have conversations with people. Even fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord sometimes are either ignorant or confused to these things as they think that there may be some out there who do good, or there may be some part of anyone who, who is good in and of themselves. And they don't want to discredit or discount such things. But here we see the complete truth. No one does good. No, not one. 
There is none who does good apart from the grace of God and the work of the Spirit in them. We, we even considered this in the confession of faith that we just confessed in sections 1 through 3 on that chapter, isn't it? didn't we? They have all turned aside. They've gone the other way. They've turned away from the Lord. They've turned aside from their rightful duty to their Creator. My friends, may we all lament the corruption of our own nature and be drawn to praise God more and more as we see the need for His grace and being born again. Because this is the picture that it paints. But we must not only be seeking to point fingers at others when we really need to understand that this was true of us apart from the grace of God. And God then asks the question, look at verse 4. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call on the Lord? In other words, have these sinful people lost their minds? Do they have no common discretion? They exploit God's people with no guilt as naturally as they eat bread at the table. Remember what Joseph's brothers did after they threw him into the pit in Genesis 37, verses 24 and 25. What did they do? They sat down and they ate a meal. Their consciences didn't weigh heavy on them at all. Beloved, the answers to these questions are clearly yes. They have lost their minds as they sinfully suppress the truth and and this is the fruit of it in their lives. And, and, And no, depravity gives no true discretion. For if they were concerned about knowledge and discretion, they wouldn't make themselves so abominable to God. They would humble themselves before him, calling upon him with true repentance, seeking to make amends and live at peace with his people. Would they call upon the Lord? Yes, they would, if they were truly changed by God. Yet besides all that David and our Lord have said, What else does God expose in them? Look at verses 5 and 6 of Psalm 14. There they are, in great fear. Beloved, when you think about such fools, when you think about those who say there is no God, don't forget this verse. There they are in great fear. For God is with the generation of the righteous. You shame the counsel of the poor, but God is, but the Lord is his refuge. Beloved, why would fools, why would atheists be in great fear if there is no God? That's an important question to ask and answer. Why would fools be in great fear if there is no God? They're the captains of their own ships. They're living their own lives. They're supposedly fine, and and the rest of us are loony. 
But importantly, see that they are in no small amount of fear, but they are in great fear because of the truth that they really know. The living triune almighty God exists and he is with and for the cause of those that they harm and they marginalize and they oppress. The living God is with them. And he is against the fools. Great fear. They shame the poor. But they should be the ones who are ashamed. Like David said in Psalm 6 verse 10, Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and and be ashamed suddenly. Here we find that they are. They are scared and fearful of God. And even more so, they needed to know that the God that they were in terror of is the refuge and the protector of His people. He is against them. Again, to to know and to understand, to see the living God and to have great fear and be in terror of Him as an unbeliever, as truly a fool, as an atheist who says He doesn't exist, but you know He exists and you're in fear of Him, to, to be in that type of position is fearful enough. But to know that He is the refuge and the protector of His people, even more so. But further, the God who is against them, notice, is not just the refuge and the protector of his people, but he is the triumphant God. He is the triumphant God who David longed for. He longed for him. Look at verse 7. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. David longed for Israel's Messiah and Redeemer who would set the captives free. For God returns joy and gladness to His people in their salvation. In Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 18, Jesus tells the people in the synagogue of how He is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in doing just that. He opened Isaiah 49 and read, and even we considered uh, this verse and passage in another context this morning, but he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And even notice what David's words here in verse 6 were about. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Indeed, as we considered this morning regarding this very passage about its connection and what it points us to in his anointing, here see also that it points to the freedom that he gives the captives who are his people. And so, beloved, as we consider this psalm, don't fear fools. Don't fear fools. Fear the Lord and walk faithfully before Him. 
But don't fear atheists or their arguments or engaging in evangelistic conversations with them. But rather, may may the fear of the Lord truly be in your heart and may the fruit of it be evident in your life. And may this psalm equip you to face fools with the truth of God's word. For you know what's true of their hearts. You know how they got into their present condition, as well as what they truly know but suppress. And further, you love and are in covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, who who is the triumphant one over the wicked, even wicked fools. He is the one who sets captives free, who has purchased and has set you free. Praise the Lord putting much joy in your heart, even as David hoped for. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Indeed, we are glad. We are glad to know the salvation of our God, and we praise him as he has set us free. And so indeed, may the truth of this psalm be a blessing to you as you serve Jesus this week. May it give you peace. May it give you insight. And may it give you zeal and obedience. Praise God for his word. Amen. Let's pray together.